are listening to Food Trucks in Babylon, a Western Seminary podcast with Dr. Todd Miles and Dr. Patrick Schreiner. Listen as they discuss matters of faith, theology, and culture in a post-Christian world. Hey, this is Patrick. This is Todd. Today we have Josh White, good friend of mine, with us, and he is the pastor of Door of Hope here in Portland. Actually, before I moved to Portland, I'll tell a quick story before I let him introduce himself more, but before I moved to Portland, um, I was in seminary. I was looking for good Christian music, and there was not much good Christian music out there in my mind, and I found Josh White online, and they were producing amazing music. Uh, I remember the first album I listened was The Followers, Mm -hmm. The Wounded Healer, and I thought that was an amazing album and i thought this i just i just loved it and oh, so thank you we came and visited we didn't end up there because you had too many tattoos probably no, <laughs> it's the gold front tooth it's <laughs> the gold yeah. front tooth yeah <laughs> but uh tell us how long have you been at door of hope we're going to be talking about evangelism in yeah. a post-christian society but how long sure. have you been at door of hope tell us the story of you getting there yeah and uh, door of hope actually started in may of 2009 so it's 11 years old now okay we're actually a family of churches at this point. Um, so we own two historic buildings in the city, one on 9th and Fremont, uh, where Cameron, Cameron. Hager, Cameron's the lead yeah. pastor. And the way that our family of churches structure is, is we're just connected by name and values. He's a Western student, but Josh he has is. never accepted no. us as, as he won't be a Western student. I'm, I'm, more, drawn to, I'm more drawn to libraries <laughs> yeah. than I am professors. But, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I see you wandering around the halls at Beerman Hall quite yeah, often. No, no, I hang out a lot. Yeah, no, I just, I'm just not a good enough student. I'm, I'm a horrible student. I'm a good reader. <laughs> I'm going to get you in someday, but now I'm leaving, so maybe not. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Um, yeah, so Cameron uh, and his elder team pastor the uh, north the northeast location and then i'm the i'm over the southeast location which is on okay. 30, 32nd taylor which is uh, if people don't know portland it's like southeast inner yeah. southeast portland yeah so and it both churches are urban core mm-hmm. uh, in which has always been dwarf up we actually began todd was one yeah. of the key people that helped helped us in the beginning uh, him and ron mars uh through henson uh, because we we started actually in Northeast in this this church called the Little Church, uh, which we had no PA. Mm-hmm. I have a loud voice. It yeah. was good enough. Yeah. And it only sat like 75 people. So we outgrew it in the first month. I imagine. Okay. And then Henson uh, had the annex, which was like a second building close here to Western. Right, right. And that's really where the church exploded. Yeah. Uh, and that was, I, I think that was, and that was a unique time in Portland before I would say this neighborhood overly gentrified there was okay. still just a ton of young people living here and so. you you came out of music too didn't you were you, were you saved later on in life yeah because uh, you were you were in bands and maybe traveling around is that is that right in terms yeah, of the history so i lived in i i'm from the portland area but i i moved to seattle when i was 20 and okay. i lived there for 10 years okay i came to faith in seattle in 1999 okay so just over 20 years ago through like um, a ministry a person no actually just through reading a Bible. Oh, cool. No uh, way. Yeah. yeah. No way. Is that a thing? I don't know. Is it a thing? <laughs> Sometimes we talk about this the Bible is, on this. You thing. know, it's a, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's one of those complicated stories where my, I would say I had an intellectual assent to the reality of Jesus through reading, reading the gospels where I was like, there was, I just was, I was mesmerized by him. 
And right. and I felt the drawing. And then I, I got connected to a small church in okay. Wallingford. I actually had this kind of really radical, though, like sort of awakening about a year into my faith. I think it started in the mind. It moved to the heart. And okay. that was when things really yeah. shifted. That's when my wife saw a real difference. She mm-hmm. came to faith two years after me. Okay. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And, it, and it was funny because evangelism has always been a massive, like that was my whole thing with starting Door of Hope was I'm like, I don't, I don't want to build a church on church transfer growth. That's not mm-hmm. how you build a church. That's yeah. how you hurt the church. And right. I mean, it's, it's inevitable on some levels. Like people mm-hmm. are going to yep. leave places and I'm, I'm all for people leaving churches that don't preach the gospel to go to mm-hmm. ones that do. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, but my heart was like, I came to faith later. I knew that the city is filled with de-churched or unchurched people. Yeah. And so I prayed first that God would bring me all the de-churched people Mm. Um, and they really are the crappiest Christians and they, and they came in droves, uh, uh, and, uh, but, but they're the ones that have all the non-believing friends. Ah, and so, okay, right. and really that was when we started seeing like a, just a massive kind ah. of, I would say, I mean, hundreds of people came to faith in the first yeah. few years. Wow. Uh, I mean, I think we did like three or 400 baptisms like wow. within the first five years. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, and that's always been my hardest to I, I think I started, I think I led the first person I ever saw come to faith was like a few months after I, mm. I got saved. And I still okay. was praying the sinner's prayer every right. day because right. I just didn't know for <laughs> yeah. sure. I didn't just wanted to, make, I wanted to make sure, you know, yeah. I hadn't heard about doctrines of election yet. I hadn't, right. I, I hadn't worked even through the whole Bible. Just say it again. And then the guy's like, what do I need to do? And I'm like, well, here's the thing. I'm not totally sure either, but I think... <laughs> But I think you can pray this prayer. I've been praying every yeah. day. <laughs> it seems to be. So I you got it gonna, down. You I think it's going to stick. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't even really find a sinner's prayer in Scripture. But I, I do feel yeah. that it says that whoever calls, says Jesus is Lord and believes in right. the heart that God raised him, shall be saved. And right. so let's just go with that. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, that and just to see that I, for me, it was like to fall in love with Christ became. I always say we talk about what we love. Yeah, and I right. just I couldn't not talk about him, yeah. and that right. was sort of the. So I don't know if that's an evangelistic impulse or just a, I know what I've been saved from impulse. Right. right. <laughs> do you consider yourself? I, this is kind of a weird question, maybe, but do you consider yourself an evangelist in terms of like how God has built you and how you interact in the city? Uh, I know that's weird to ask. Like, it's better to have other people affirm that than for yeah. you to speak about it. I mean, people say that I'm evangelistic all the time. I think that. You know, I, I I think that that kind of prophetic voice of, and what I mean by that is not for telling the future, but like the ability to really see what's happening and to kind of see into the culture, kind of intuitively know how to meet people where they're at. There is that that component, but maybe that's just part of church planting. I think you need to be in. A, I think you have to have an evangelistic impulse if you're going to be a church planter. Mm, yeah, and I've realized that there's a difference between someone that actually pioneers a brand new work and someone that's able to uh, able to step in and right. and and lead something that already exists. Yeah, um, different and, challenges. Yeah, like I I I think that maybe I'm just like a really extreme sort of risk taker. Okay. Maybe hypomanic, maybe a little obsessive compulsive. Yeah. God seems to be using all those, all those glitches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I always say, I'm like, even the best things I do in the power of the Holy Spirit is still ultimately mixture. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Nice. I'm, my wife's trying to teach me about Enneagram, so I'm trying to put you on a number, but I still don't understand all the Enneagram things, so I won't even do that. So, it, You know, it, it, Enneagram, it's a cult. <laughs> let's just say, <laughs> let's just say what it is. It's no different than, uh, I mean, it's pretty, it's accurate, but so is my, I'm, I'm also clearly a Gemini when you read through my astrology sign, too. Like, so but I'm a seven. Uh, so is my a interpretation of 1 Peter 3 is accurate, too. We just did that, so, you know, <laughs> who knows. Um, so tell us about, with all the people coming to faith, so many baptisms, what you said a lot of people who were kind of out of the church, deconverted, yeah, like came de-churched. in. Like Yeah. yeah like, a, lot of, a lot of kids that, like, were, yeah, had kind of moved to the city to get away from their, you know, it, their Christian backgrounds, you know, mm-hmm. like found their way back. I think they found something that resonated with them at Door of Hope. I think on the, we've always drawn a ton of artists, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that's funny, people have always asked, I've gotten asked to speak at like conferences on like the art. Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, don't ask me that question. (laughs) Because my, my whole view is that. I'm glad we didn't have you on this podcast for that. (laughs) First of all, I always say that art, art by its nature is self-expressioning. Christ by his nature is self-denial. Uh, and that's why artists are the most conflicted <laughs> Christians there are. Uh, I think the reason we drew so many artists is because we actually never talked about it. It's like... It, oh, interesting. Really? Yeah, it was, oh. just, okay. it was just a natural out, like the, our aesthetic, all those things that wasn't trying. Max Styles. Yeah, Mac Styles, uh, mm-hmm. who Todd and I know really... Do you know him as yes. well? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, Bubbly he's, guy. He's a great friend, and he actually wrote about Door of Hope in, in uh, the... Nine Mark, the Nine Marks book on evangelism oh, yeah. yep. about our church in the park. And he just, I remember him saying, like, you know, Door of Hope, like what makes it what it is is that they don't try. And if anyone tried to emulate what they're <laughs> right. doing, oh, it would geez, be really, it would be not good. Right. <laughs> and right. I think that that's true. Like even like our worship style, it came out of so many people coming to faith. They never heard of Hillsong. They never heard of like right. contemporary. Amy Grant. Yeah, they just Sandy they met Jesus and then they were just trying to write music that reflected that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's been a lot of the kind of the impulse. I mean, the challenge for Door of Hope is that everything's always been very like organic, mm-hmm. but really mm-hmm. organic is just another word for by the seat of our pants. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, how'd you get so authentic by being lazy? I don't know. <laughs> Tell it. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna, I, I remember at, at one point you, you talked about just your <clears throat> the style of music that you used early and that that you weren't trying to put on a big show to try to get people that, that no. you were intentionally minimalist we, uh, we definitely minimalist I, I think in the urban context people can they they can smell out anything that doesn't feel right and a big right. show people are skeptical of a big show like if we had mm. if we would have had like led lights and you know smoke the, or, yeah, yeah just like the the big the big production i think it would not have reach the people that we did reach. I think a lot of the appeal of, I mean, it's hurt us now as we've entered quarantine and all of a sudden have to be more tech savvy for as much mm. music as we put out. We still have never in our entire history ever hired a sound guy. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> like almost all that stuff's been done volunteer. So it's right. pretty, we were, we were, we were pulling a little bit of a scramble those first few weeks. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that, that sort of simplicity of, I mean, Door of Hope's built on four pillars cross uh community real intentional life together uh simplicity and what i mean by simplicity is keeping the main thing the main thing and Mm. so if it doesn't Mm. serve the centrality of the cross then why are we doing it and then the fourth is just the city and that was a 
kind of unwavering commitment to the urban core. In the early days, that was the most controversial pillar um, because most of the churches in the urban core were not made up of people that live there. Mm -hmm. And my belief is that the best way to reach a neighborhood is to actually be a reconciled people living there, mm -hmm. uh, which has created challenges for us now as the city's gotten increasingly expensive. It's, and the It's not easy to yeah. move in, especially no, yeah. if you're a young person not, not without the, money. Yeah, not in this. I'm, I'm looking pretty tenaciously right now. I mean, my heart is to have somewhere a little further east. Like, uh, mm. you know, I'd love to buy Central Bible. <laughs> if anyone's yeah, listening it's available. it's available i love if, if anyone that happens to own it is listening I'd, or you could just buy a property by you it. and have people live there you know <laughs> if you want to give it to me in the name of jesus i do have the gift of receiving it. <laughs> nice. so tell us about the church in the park because i know when i yeah. first heard of you all um early on i i knew of you guys going out i think it was colonel sumner's park right colonel you sumner's guys would park, go yeah. in there and have the church service in the park and that what what was the purpose behind that and what fruit did you see from that yeah we saw a ton of fruit from it so i you know i i've always been a bit of a revivalist and uh, and revival history is really fascinating to me and every great movement every great awakening through the church's history has always had a component of open air preaching mm. So when we started doing Church in the Park, it's funny because there was all these young reform guys that were calling me to ask if I would, they're like, we've been talking about this. I'm like, well, why don't you just do it? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what young reform people do. You know, like, they just talk about it. You, no. don't, you don't have to analyze it. Like, it's not that hard. And, um, but the whole idea was, you know, I had seen how not effective it is for a, a person, a lone individual to go out and yell at the pagans. Uh, and, yeah. the, you know, they, if you look at Whitfield or Wesley, you, you look at these great, I mean, great evangelists, mass evangelism even, when you look at mass evangelism, all they're doing is essentially a giant outside church service. Yeah. The reason that Billy Graham or Luis Palau, I mean, I've, I do a lot with, with Luis, mm -hmm. and I mean, he's become a really dear friend, but I, I realized I was with him in Madrid, and, you know, the 2,500 people responded to the gospel for the first time. It was really powerful, and part of it, there's a clear anointing on him. He has charisma like I've never seen mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. uh, but, there, but a huge part of it is that all of the believers in Madrid are there. Hmm. Uh, and there is something about, I believe, when God's people gather together in a public space, that hmm. there's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a unique way, where the gospel becomes tangible, it becomes hmm. palatable. Yeah, uh, it's you and know, you don't look crazy. Yeah, you don't look crazy. Yeah, and so you're not yelling at the non-believers. You're right. inviting them to see what yeah. it is that we believe mm -hmm. in. So that was our thing. Was like even less focused on non-believers and like why don't we begin to break? I, I the whole reason I started is because. Hmm. Portland is filled with Christians who are closet Christians. Mm. Like when I would meet like some young kid at the door of hope and he's like, I just found out you're not going to believe it. This, my coworker for the last three years, um, mm. sh she's a believer as well. And I'm like, why are you excited about that? Why is it taking you three years mm. to discover mm -hmm. that your coworker is a believer? Right. Because you guys don't talk about Jesus. Right. And right. so I was always trying to push that sort of how do we naturally engage? So encouraging people to do Bible studies and coffee shops and mm -hmm. just be naturally supernatural, supernaturally yeah. natural. Just right. be, just be like, it should be as natural for you to open a Bible in a public space yeah. as it is to open a novel that you bought at Powell's. And right. so, right. The, so the same idea was with Church in the Park is, are you embarrassed by your faith or do you have an unnatural fear mm. of what people think? And let me just tell you, 
the first time I preached at church in the park, it was stinking terrifying. I'm sure. Because we had 200 plus people show up. Yeah. And the park was packed. And back yep. then it was like, it was, that was the weird, like little, it, yeah. like hipster, no man's life. That's where they played like naked dodgeball yeah, yeah. on Monday nights. Monday, Monday, Monday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We yeah. were there for a Monday, Monday. Yeah, They're like, come on in, let's play. And I'm like, what is happening in yeah. Portland? It was, it was, uh, <laughs> and so we're, you know, and people were a little bit cackling, but it was like, I stood up and I did it kind of the wrong way. Like I stood, I had everyone sitting kind of below like me, yeah. like where I was kind of up a little bit. Sermon on the Mount yeah. style. And, and it, I should have been below them because it carries better. But I was I was scared. Like I was, I'm like, in every, you could feel it in the, the whole body. We were all like, whoa, what's going to happen? But nobody, we had like one heckler. And I realized like, no, this is the power of like, we've got to break down these fears. Right. So that was part of the, mm. almost as much of a motivation as. How, how did it work down. with the heckler? Like what, what happened? Can, I mean, like, what do you do in that moment? Nothing. I mean, a lot of times they would come and like say it or try to interrupt they it. They try to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Ask questions. You just keep it really casual. So the whole thing is you don't need to permit if you don't use amplification. Okay. Charles Spurgeon said you shouldn't be a preacher if you don't have a large chest cavity. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, you got to be able to project. Yeah. We just play acoustic worship. Yep. Or, you know, our music translated well yeah and we bring like upright bass and two yeah. acoustic guitars and a banjo and like you yeah. know people would gather around for that and would you change your message for that sunday at all i mean would you make it a little more evangelistic so or how did you not, think through that not really my whole i'm just thing, thinking of churches who are maybe thinking about doing this yeah thing. i mean i always try to be, have an evangelistic element i think that the gospel should be presented clearly always mm -hmm. um you know i wasn't necessarily like giving you know asking people to stand up with their heads bowed or anything. You right. know, I just would right. preach the gospel and I would encourage if you're visiting or you wandered upon this in the park, come, come on Sunday. Cause yeah. we did this on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. You didn't. Um, okay. It wasn't yeah. a Sunday morning. No, it was always Wednesday evenings. Okay. Um, was that purposeful? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was kind of it like our, a more evening and Because we always take a break from community groups in the summer. And so mm -hmm. that kind of created our midweek kind of rhythm for the summers. And, gotcha. and we have such long summers here. So we usually would start in, I mean, sad, I thought we were going to start actually in a week, um, but they just rolled back the amount of the number of people that can mm -hmm. gather outside yep. in phase one. Yep. At first they were going to allow a, a hundred in phase one for outside. Now they only are allowing 25. So okay. I'm going to do 30 days of prayer in august instead at 6 a.m outside gotcha <laughs> do you always do it at a park near you where you're meeting mm -hmm. is that the goal yeah i want i want to do it here at western in august i just okay. have to talk to people yeah yeah if it's okay i'm sure <laughs> um but yeah that colonel colonel summers was a great one just because there's so much activity yeah um and we had a lot of people end up at the church from just wow wandering i mean we had i had a guy once like smoking weed behind me and blowing it at me the whole like blowing it <laughs> at my head heckler. while i'm while i'm while i'm preaching and but that's was, what you called the filling of the holy spirit yeah no we all right. did we saw we had visions and then we got the munchies <laughs> <laughs> we already did an episode on marijuana todd's the expert <laughs> that's right that's right a book coming out uh, yeah book todd's doing a book on it you could include these stories you yeah, know? I should. Yeah, you I should. talk with you about that. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I mean, topless woman <laughs> sat down with with us once, and then and then accused us of trying to get attention. Wow, this is the irony! Wow, yeah. 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 So you did see people though come in in terms of not Christians, Lots, heard the gospel, yeah. yeah, and then came into the church. Came into the church. Okay, yeah. wow, that's yeah. really encouraging. So, and and I think that that's you know what I always encourage is listen, like as natural as possible when it comes to evangelism. It's you know not everyone's going to have the the ability to go out and like, you know, I think a lot of times churches focus on personal evangelism. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that, I mean, 
let's just begin with the lowest hanging fruit. Let's literally just, if we just encourage our people to invite a non-believer to begin to mm-hmm. come with them to church, mm-hmm. it's like, because a lot of times they'll come for months before they, before, I mean, they, they need to hear, like the Holy Spirit's, we need to trust, A, that the Spirit's drawing people. Right. And B, I mean, I just always hold to that. Why does Paul say we preach Christ and Him crucified? Why is the cross so central? And mm-hmm. it's the one thing that seems to be like the essence of spiritual warfare. The cross mm. is the one place where the enemy loses his stronghold. The mm. cross is the place that actually separates those who will be offended and those who will respond. Uh, and I think that the cross is the, cross is the is is the paradox that, for whatever reason, like makes sense to the one who's responding to it. Mm. And yeah. so, I, so that's been a, a huge focus for us as, as a church. And that, I think that that's been the it's the part that's truly the it's the foolishness of the message, yeah. you know um, that creates this yeah. I, I want that so is this something you have consciously articulated to the congregation mm-hmm. that bring your unbelieving friends you uh, they will hear the gospel yes um, I, I've, I've heard I've heard people refer to that as like uh, preaching to the open pew yeah there's the, there's there's no one sitting there next to you bring your friends know that I will be preaching the gospel yeah and, and I uh, Keller is always an inspiration for me I mean I remember when gospel I would think you were there that year with gospel coalition in mm-hmm. um, in Chicago yes, yes and I remember Keller he like presented the gospel to a room full of pastors because he's mm-hmm. like there's guys here that there's no doubt that there's people here that don't know Jesus mm-hmm. um, and I just that that belief of like that we don't know who he's drawing. And all I know is that he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people. Mm. And so I just hold tenaciously to that, yeah. that belief. And I think that, that that simplicity, it's not, I'm not like, you know, obviously you want to be aware of your culture, but I'm not like analyzing the culture like an alien removed from it. I'm, you know, my intake of culture just is who right. I am. Right. And so it's going to find its way in. But for me, it's the simplicity of the gospel. Yeah. It, it like kind of, you know, you think about it. No one came to faith after you gave them a robust explanation of atonement. Like that, that, that came later. And like, yeah, like right. someone explained right. the gospel. I mean, all I knew is like, I was lost. Yeah. I right. needed to be saved. Yeah, Jesus exactly. seems to be pretty compelling. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so in a post-Christian society, I think many might assume and coming here from the South, I, I kind of maybe intuitively thought or began thinking Man, more people will probably come into the church through small groups or relationships. And what you're saying is tell them to come to church. And and kind of my thought when I first came here was they don't want to come to church because church has all this baggage. It has all this traditional, like, people don't want to be a part of that, especially in a Portland-type place. So for people living in maybe, like, more coastal cities, can you just walk through maybe briefly like how you thought through that? Because what I'm hearing from you is like, that's the same thing. I would have said it in the South, like come to church, you'll hear the gospel. And then that that's the same thing in a post-Christian society. Or do you feel like it shifts in a post-Christian society? I don't think it shifts at all. I okay. think all that's bogus. Like I think <laughs> that's that, what I want you to say. I, think, I was just setting you up. Yeah. I think, you up, I think that, that I think a lot of times, like I think the, 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 those who speak on behalf, you know, that are analyzing the health of the the church today and, you know, coming up with different, you know, whether it's Barna or whatever, right. I sometimes just wonder, I'm like, are these people that are giving so much, like, input into the culture right now? It's like, I don't know anyone that's, I, I, don't, I generally don't trust any Christian anyway on 
giving me insight into the culture. And I'm like, I'd rather listen to people that are that outside of the church that are like fully engaged in whatever that arena is, whether it's film or literature or mm, whatever. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't need a, some pseudo analysis <laughs> from someone. <laughs> I don't want a Christian perspective on, you know, right. postmodern literature. It's like, right. it's just not that helpful. And I think that when it comes to evangelism, I kind of feel the same way. I think that often pastors do the most damage by, by making statements and you guys ever read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow? It's I have the it. greatest book yeah. ever on cognitive yeah. like research. He's the, probably the leading thinker on, on that. He won the Nobel Prize for his work in economics. And the, but he, if you want to not ever be confident in your reasoning ever again, read that book. But <laughs> it, one of the one of the main principles is all you know is all there is. Mm. And so, so when someone says, you know, people are indifferent to the gospel in Portland. I immediately, I want to know where you're getting that information. Right, like, right. is that, is that from you going out and personally trying to share mm. the gospel with people? Right. Is that you, are you saying that people, uh, you and you've invited hundreds of people to church? They've uh, all because, said no. yeah, yeah. Because often we as pastors get so insular that we don't even deal with non-Christians. Yeah, right. Other than in passing in stores. But if we actually made the, the effort to really engage people on a relational level, whether it's at our local coffee shop. Because what I have found is that I have invited hundreds and hundreds of people to church, at Door, to Door of Hope, yeah. uh, non-believers through yeah. stores and restaurants and just record stores and wherever I go. Yeah. And I have, I have had, I've never had anyone except one woman at a one vintage store on Hawthorne. And she wasn't even, she wasn't even like mean. She just was like, she got immediately cool and indifferent yeah. toward me. But right. she didn't yell at me. Right. Okay. She's like, what kind of church is it? And I'm like, it's a Christian church. And she goes, hmm. You know, like, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, persecution. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but everyone else is like, they're, you know, they yeah. maybe one out of every 50 will come. Mm -hmm. But nobody's mad. Nobody's yeah. offended. They're actually just surprised that I'm a pastor because they either think I'm a barber or a tattoo artist. <laughs> I don't know why I get barber so much, but <laughs> so, it kind of makes that, sense. Yeah, it is interesting. I get the tattoo least, artist, but not the, yeah. <laughs> it's the gold tooth. He has great hair. Yeah. That's why I like, I'm like, I got a gold tooth because I was, you know, kind of giving a tip of the hat to hip hop culture. And all I get is, oh, you like pirates? I'm like, no, I don't like pirates. I hated pirates of the Caribbean. Johnny Depp's worst work. Yeah. Right. So you, you tell your congregation, just bring them to church just, and I'll, I'll because preach the gospel. Think about it. If you're a non-believer, and you're you're an adult. The last place you want to go to is a is a house church. Yeah, like I'm not gonna. I would never have gone to a to a ten person community group to it's gonna hear get weird really. Yeah, cool. I'm like I want to go yeah. somewhere. Like what I did when I first became compelled by Jesus in the Scripture, I went to a church. I sat in the back. Yeah, yeah. I hated the music. I would show up for the sermon, and I was just trying to understand what mm -hmm. it is that was happening to me. Yeah. And I listened, and it was a safe place to listen. Right. That's why the Annex is such an amazing space. It was a really beautiful space for people. It was just big enough that people didn't, if they didn't want to be fully seen, they could get in and out. Yeah. But so but there could I, be a little anonymity. Yeah, and I okay. never, and I'm not, and I'm not promoting, and I, I'm, I don't get into like which methodologies work, seeker-sensitive. Mm. We never played a seeker-sensitive. That, that's never been my MO. My, mm. I think it's just preach the word fully. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I appreciate from Calvary is, like, you know, is like just preach the, preach the word, sure. just preach teach the, the Bible. Bible. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, I may vary from there, from Calvary doctrinally on 
multiple points, but I appreciate that, that mm -hmm. just, just preach the word yeah. and people feed, feed the sheep. Because what I think that, that a non-believer wants to see is they want to see the Christian life demonstrated. Yeah. Uh, they want to see it actually played out. Um, and really love is the only tangible evidence that we're actually transformed. That's yeah. good. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And so then like a, a, a full orbed worship service is a pretty powerful evangelistic Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People are, yeah. people are drawn there. They want to, and if you were a non-believer and you're like, I feel like I need faith right now. I mm -hmm. can't tell you how many people I just, I just saw this kid come to faith um, named Nick Axline. He's a sweet guy. Um, he's, he's gotten pretty involved. He was, he got engaged. He moved to Portland, mm -hmm. never been to church in his life, either had his fiance and they just felt like they needed something. He mm -hmm. was feeling more and more overwhelmed and anxious about the world in the direction. He's from Montana and Portland freaked him out. And so they, they said, why don't we just try a church? They just literally stumbled across Door of Hope at Revolution Hall. Mm -hmm. And they came for five months. Nick's fiance ends the relationship and he's devastated. The first place he came was to our new location during worship practice and Evan, and he asked if he could sit and listen. And Evan's like, hey, come back on Sunday and introduce yourself to Josh. And so he came on Sunday, introduced himself to me, and I met with him that week. I met with him twice. And then a few weeks later, I presented the gospel in a really clear, and I just gave people, and I don't always like have people stand up, or but sometimes right. I'll be like, hey, not with heads bowed or eyes closed, just if you don't know Jesus and you feel the spirit drawing you and you just know you want that you need to make that that mm. that moment. Just you know, raise your hand or stand up where you're at. And Nick responded to the gospel that day. But I mean, That's it was great. it was months. You mm -hmm. know, we think it's yeah. like this one moment. He came right. to church one day and he got saved. Right, right. Um, yeah. It was like months of draw, the spirit drawing. Yeah. Um, I am an advocate for actually giving people the opportunity to respond, mm. but I do it differently. Like I, I think you have to be careful to not for it to not become rote, yeah. and uh, and I, I try to be sensitive to where yeah. the spirit's leading on that. That's good. We need to take a little break here, but this has been a I think powerful demonstration of the power of the gospel and the power of the gospel in a community as well. It's kind yeah. of been a thread that's gone through this first half. So yeah. we'll take a little break and be back in a minute. Okay. Hi, my name is Eric, and I'm in the MDiv program at Western Seminary. My favorite part about studying here is being able to develop those close relationships with fellow students in and outside of the classroom, while discovering how I can love God with my whole life. I also really appreciate that my professors care about what I'm learning alongside my personal spiritual formation. Western Seminary offers a number of programs to help students prepare for the work God has called them to do through rigorous education designed with practical application. If you are interested in learning more about Western or starting your application, visit us online at westernseminary.edu. Now, back to the show. Hey, we're back with uh, Josh White, pastor of Door of Hope, and this is Food Trucks in Babylon. So we got to ask uh, any favorite food trucks that you've been hitting lately. You know what? I have always loved Tight Taco. Yeah. 
Okay. Yep. I just I just love their tortillas. On Hawthorne and yeah, but I feel like it changed a little bit when it went to Hawthorne because mm. I when I only had it at Hawthorne, they, so they, I don't know. It this. used to be on. It used to be a block off of Belmont, like okay. in 39th, like at gotcha. by, right by the on the back side of the Minute Mart. But yeah, I think that that's a really great. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. What like yeah. is it? What kind of tacos? It's kind of like coastal tacos. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's it's. It, it, it has a definitely a unique twist, kind of right. like Porcano, like yep. where it's like, it's it seems to be more inspired than like your average, right? You know, right, right. Tex Mex or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, Excellent. why don't you help us think through? We've been talking about evangelism, post Christian culture, your own church, how you've gone through this, but how do you encourage your people to continually think about this, practice this? Is that something more caught than taught, or just how do you? kind of lead your congregation in this way yeah i well first of all i think this is a challenge this is an area where i've been critiqued um as a as a pastor is that i'm not i'm not extremely prescriptive uh i i'm not i'm not a prescriptive preacher mm. but what i but but i think my strength lies is that i have endless energy and so whatever i call my people to i'm always willing to demonstrate for them in person. So yeah. like I never ask our people to invite people to church unless I'm doing that. I like, right. I, okay. you know, if I want to do 30 days, uh, call people to pray for 30 days, I will be the one that gets there and makes them the coffee in the morning. And I just think that that yeah. for me, that's like a powerful way to model. I wish I was a little more um, uh, systematic. I, I think being a creative, I, I don't, te- you right. know, there are <laughs> people are like, how did you, how do you prepare? I'm the worst guy to ask how you prepare a sermon. I'm like, I don't know. All I know is I'm probably every pretty, week it's different. I'm pretty sure that you shouldn't do whatever I'm doing. Don't do <laughs> that. Do that. Yeah, yeah. So basically, so, my question was yeah. just a very bad question. Yeah. For no. no, no. <laughs> so I, I actually have. Like, thought, I don't know. I just figured out as I go. I have thought a lot about this, and the thing that I think that where we've gone wrong is often putting too much emphasis on trying to teach people how to share the gospel. I think that what we want to do is just make sure that we're presenting the gospel in such a clear way on a weekly basis. It takes repetition to learn anything. Um, And that's king. Uh, But what we need to encourage people are some very basic, simple ways of breaking down the, those, I think almost supernatural, like spiritual barriers Mm -hmm. because people often have an un overwhelming fear that's not actually grounded in reality it's actually Mm. grounded in in the fact that they it's i mean we're always afraid of what we don't understand and uh, and so you know they're not they just they haven't done it so there there's a fear if if you can break through that initial fear like it's not that scary to invite someone to church right if they haven't even done that then it's I think it, you're wasting your time to tell right. someone how to, like, right. this is how you walk them through the four spiritual, right. you know? Right. Like, and besides, yeah, God has a perfect plan for your That's life. Right. I always say he has a perfect plan, but for you personally, it might be quite, quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, in college, I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, what's called a crew now. And I mean, one of their big emphasis is evangelism and telling other about others about Jesus. And, mm. you know, honestly, it was so good for me just to have times where we would literally go out and just share the gospel. Yeah. And we just share, I mean, it was awkward, like sit down, ask them weird questions, draw something on a napkin and get up. And there were awkward times and we do it on the beach. We do it on campus. We'd sit down with people at lunch, but it, I had to take those steps to get over my fear of doing that because I was, I mean, secular university, 
completely scared out of my mind what people would think. And once you did it a few times, it just wasn't that scary. It just right. wasn't. And there was that was a huge, I mean, point of growth for me just to have someone. And what I loved about crew is they were like, here, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to do it first and you watch. Yeah. So that so I could kind of like it. step back and be like, okay, what's going to happen here? And they're like, next time you do it. Yeah. And I was like, um, okay, my turn. Like, but just doing those steps of like, you know, even inviting people to church or sharing the gospel. Yeah, it's a, it, it it's does a seem, modeling. It, yeah. it does seem so frightening at the beginning. Like, oh, what are people going to think? What are they going to do? And then you think, this is what we're called to do. This is the New Testament command. We go out and we share the gospel with others. But, well, that's a, you know, I, I was asked to speak on a panel for um, Portland pastors uh, that I think, I don't remember who put it on. I think the Palau's were the ones that organized it, but it was basically like evangelism in the church in Portland today. And it was, there were pastors from, I can't remember how many pastors were there, mm. but I remember specifically on the panel, I just felt this, like, I need to ask the question. I said, I go, you know, how many of you uh, think that, you know, basically giving people an opportunity to respond to the gospel um, or how many of you give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel in a, on a Sunday gathering? Mm. And it was like literally like two or three hands. Mm. And, you know, and I could even see in some of those, like I fundamentally disagree with that. Right, like it's right. emotionally manipulative. I'm like, right. Paul says I plead like the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit, like let the Holy Spirit emotionally manipulate through you. I mean, I, I don't know what the problem is here. It's like, and, and they, but I, I'm like, is that really that you really think is emotionally manipulative? Or are you afraid? Yeah. Mm. Right. Because okay. then I asked the question, how many of you got saved through an altar call? Yeah. Or at least that was your introduction into the church. Almost right. every hand in the room raised. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, so are you just going to throw that out? Like, so then you drop the mic and we're like, yeah, I'm so out. Boom. No, <laughs> I did feel like doing that. Um, but, it, but I think that that I, I myself was afraid. I, I realized I had all sorts of excuses for not, not giving people the opportunity. Yeah. I don't want to be emotionally manipulative. I don't want to be too scripted. Yeah. And then I actually was talking with Luis and he's just like, he's like, brother, you know, I love, he always says, this is my friend, Josh. He, he looks like a criminal, but he's a godly man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just called me he called me on easter he's like i heard you got the stuff man how are you feeling <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> you heard that i had covid and i love him so much he is like such a humble mm. easy i mean the fact that he makes time for just to meet with guys right and, right. and yeah. just share what he knows and he's just so the reason he's a compelling evangelist is because he really believes that Jesus saves people. Right. <laughs> it's right. like, and uh, I, I think that that, that was the thing that really struck me is like, there's a fear in our people because there's a fear in the pulpit. Mm. And, uh, wow. and, and what's the fear, the fear, the fear is that, Oh, if I do, if, what if no one raises their hand or right. what if mm. no one, you know, in all the times I've like in the entire history of door of hope, the hundreds and hundreds of times that I've given people the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And I don't even necessarily think I have this like, mm -hmm. you know, overwhelming gift of evangelism. I've only had one time where someone didn't respond. Mm -hmm. and you know what? I thought it was healthy. I thought mm -hmm. it was good. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, right. I'm like, this hey guys, is, this look is at, what it looks like. It sometimes. Yeah. It's not that scary. Look at, right. I actually yeah. made everyone like, yeah. do you yeah. just notice? No one responded. Yeah. yeah. Fail you, in front of you. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's okay. Right. And then I, what was cool is that, uh, Later that week, I got an email on Monday, uh, and it was uh, one of the people on the prayer team, and they said, 
hey, I actually prayed with <laughs> with the guy. He was too afraid to raise his hand, but he came forward and asked <laughs> oh, wow. for you. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, not even that time was there. Yeah, but I just think right. that there's, I think people are often brought up to the precipice mm. Um, mm. in a message, but then they don't know where to go with it. Yeah. And so, you know, what is the actual moment and all that? I don't, I don't try to answer those questions. Sure. I think that mm. there's just kind of like the same reason we do baptism. It's like, what, what is it that happens in baptism? I know for sure that it's it becomes a significant marker. Yeah. For this is the beginning of something. New. So you think maybe we've we've like re- reacted against Finney perhaps too much? Yeah. You know? Well, Finney was. I mean, he he had people crying in the front row to. What do you, what do you have? Like, I mean, he used all sorts of tactics. Tactics, yeah. But it, but, or, uh, but methods. Yeah, methods. <laughs> I would say ta- or, 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 um, occasional uh, tactics, measures, measures, yes. measures. I guess. But I mean, I I've seen people. I mean, was that weed smoker your tactic? <laughs> no, part? no, 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 no. Just kidding. Uh, but I, I, I've seen I've seen the. I, I've seen the heavy-handedness, the mm-hmm. guilting, all of those things. Of course, there's all sorts of methods that are like unhealthy. But I don't know. I just the older I get, yeah. the more I kind of find myself with Paul saying whether they preach out of selfish ambition or not. I'm just glad that Jesus has preached because mm-hmm. I, I mean, one of my best friends is his. Whenever he actually had the you know regeneration, I'm not sure, but the thing that brought him to his knees was a Joel Osteen sermon. It's like, and that's a guy from my vantage point that preaches a crossless Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so it, it was still his introduction. To, so I think that God's willingness to use deeply flawed vessels is the thing that yeah. I, that should, should actually scare us the most as pastors. Yeah. Is, is not that God won't use an unholy vessel. It's no, that God will use you as an unholy vessel. You just may not know that you're unholy. <laughs> you're <laughs> so, there, there's a but sen- you made that list. <laughs> yeah. There's a sense in which, and I'm speaking to myself, it seems that it's very easy to critique past Christian cultures and how they did something because yeah. we can always look back with like 2020 hindsight. Oh, that was awkward and terrible. But it, even in my own life, sometimes it gives an excuse to do nothing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, I don't want to do it that way because I was awkward. I don't want to do it that way because that was manipulative. I don't want to do it that way because, you know, that's just defunct and out of style now. Like that was what they did in the past. Yeah. But it seems like what you're saying is like, if you have a heart and a desire for people to come to know Christ, there will be times of rejection. There will be times of awkwardness, mm-hmm. but we don't have to fear those things because no. the spirit is still works. We're still living in the time where the spirit gives new resurrection life and the cross is a powerful message and yeah. people will respond to it as you proclaim it. And I, I mean, honestly, that's a great critique for myself. I, I think there has been fear in myself to go out and continually do these things and, uh, just returning to the basic message of there is power in this message and yeah. people will respond if you continue to proclaim it. Well, as theologians, you guys, you, you, you both will have that ability to explain things on a deep level, mm. but we forget that that's not, that's not where people begin. Yeah. And so I think even I, as I've pastored now longer, it's like, I forget the, the, sim- the simplicity, like the amount of people I, I saw come to faith in the early years, just out of my sheer, what they saw was a changed mm. life. They just thought like, what, where did Josh go from being like this mascara wearing, you know, kind of gothy, you know, 
downtrodden mm-hmm. you know, to a pirate yeah to a, this before even the pirate <laughs> movement uh, i've had many faces <laughs> i mean half of the success of door of hope was that i looked like a cult leader for the first few years because i had hair down to the middle of my chest and a giant beard so like i actually cut it off when people kept that's calling the new me Finney jesus. Tactics. people kept calling me jesus on that on hawthorne and i was like all right that's just that's gone enough. too far I'm not, I'm cutting off. but i did lose all my power when i did it uh, but yeah, I, I think, notice you're weaker now. Yeah, so, I found like yeah. that that's yeah, like Samson's beard. No. <laughs> the, the compellingness of like someone who's truly been changed. I always use the illustration like one of the best illustrations of that, like the power of someone who's really fallen in love is Will Ferrell in Elf when he when he runs into his father's office and he throws up his arms like I'm in love and I don't care who knows. <laughs> and it's like there's something really it's beautiful good, about yeah. that kind of it's 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 infectious. Yeah, yeah uh, and sure. I think that you know. Those are the that I think that we can lose that and mm. we can lose that in our learning and you know that's that's why we have to constantly temper like is is are the things that we're growing in actually yeah. continuing to serve the simplicity of the gospel? Yeah, you spoke about example for your congregation in terms of seeing other examples in churches of like testimonies. Do mm-hmm. you how do you do you incorporate that at all in terms of yeah? What does that look like? In your yeah, church? we started doing that. And well, <laughs> sadly, quarantine sort of put the yeah. kibosh. But um, you know the most. Of, the, the most powerful moment, I went over to, to the UK because right now the most effective uh, evangelism movement uh, probably is Alpha globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a lot of I, what's actually really smart about Alpha is just the way that they a they really trust the Holy Spirit to be the one they don't they don't pressure people to come. They're invited to come to dinner. They find that most of the people that come to, cause it's over a 12 week program okay. weeks, they gather. I went for the opening night of this 12 week stand, um, at, at HTB okay. and they had 900 non-believers lined up around the church there. They were there to eat dinner. I mean, I don't, I never see anything like it. Wow. it never, what is this out of what, what area? Um, I mean, Alpha Holy Trinity Brompton, which okay. is, yeah. So, um, it, I mean, just incredible the amount of people that, that came that literally have never heard mm. gospel in their lives mm. and why they would come and why would they stand in the rain to come in and hear mm. a message. And they, they, they do it over 12 weeks, explain, you know, first the beginning, like basic concept to God, yep. then Jesus, then the cross. And, mm. it, and I, you know, I come from that, like, well, we, you know, D.L. Moody is like, you got to present the whole gospel every time, you know. Yeah. That, like it kind of messed with my grid. Okay. But what I liked about it is like, hey, we're not the ones that save people. If God is drawing people, we need to trust that sometimes this is a process. And and this is why it's so effective. I mean, prisons are being transformed by Alpha, like in mm. places like Africa. There's certain countries that are used, like it's mandatory because it's had such a difference in impact wow. on. Wow. So, I mean, I haven't even started it yet. This is something that I'm finding myself analyzing and still haven't pulled the trigger on it because um, yeah. I want to do it well. But uh, but I think there are lots of ways that that's, you know, that's a unique way that you can mm-hmm. actually get people engaged in evangelism and because they're just hosting tables. But what I saw at HTB do that I thought was so brilliant was that Nikki Gumbel, the, the guy that, that started Alpha, he always, the most powerful aspect of the weekend where I watched it was his interview um, of people that came to faith through it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was the most compelling thing to hear in and their whole thing is you want to get some you want to get believers that have only been believers for like as new, as fresh okay. of a conversion as possible mm, because mm. they're the they they just tend to be the most raw in yeah, what's going right, on right and it just like people like people begin to forget 
that mm. the gospel was good enough for them, right? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that it's still good for other people. Yeah. I'm like, it was good enough to save you. So yeah. why why are you not convinced that it will save others? You yeah. know, yeah. it's right. like I don't know why we there's right. like a disconnect. There. Right. Uh, no, that's true. I remember when I, I I remember going to Athens and and. Uh, working with the refugees there and just being in the park and all these men just coming over. And that was one of the, like a real benefit of being a white American at that point. Cause you're, you're like a magnet. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I found myself in like five minutes talking about the gospel and talking about the fatherhood of God. And, 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 and I came away with this overwhelming uh, remembrance mm-hmm. of the gospel really is good news. Yeah. And I, I it's like, I forgot that I'm a, I'm a theology professor <laughs> and, and the gospel means good news, but it really is. Mm, it really yeah. is. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's the best news. <laughs> yeah. So do you guys have testimonies yeah, that we, you do in your church? Yeah, though? we started, we started doing them and man, it's, it's so awesome. People love them. Like it's because it's just beautiful. Like, and you just interview them just like you do it on a podcast, you know, like that's the best way you really want to interview, yeah. interview the people. So do you, you do, do it on Sunday morning. Yeah. Just do it on Sunday morning is like, like, why do we need 27 announcements? Let's, let's do less announcements. Let's create, right. create a little more space because it, it all of a sudden gives it just, it's like the power of like in a, you know, if you just read a book, that's just straight theology. It can, you can lose yourself, but, it, but really good writers that are able to illustrate those theological principles, like mm-hmm. practically through narrative. That's what, that's what a testimony does. Right. It, mm-hmm. it brings the story piece to, to the, the theology that we hold to so tenaciously. Mm-hmm. That's good. Over your years, I mean, when you start out as a young pastor, you probably have high aspirations, and then uh, you're seasoned over the years in terms of being a pastor, yeah. and you learn different things just through trial and error. Mm-hmm. What, is there anything just in terms of your journey of, man, I thought this is the way it would go with evangelism in, in Portland, uh, being an evangelistic church, and really over the years I've I've recognized this is where I want to press into in the future more, or has it stayed pretty constant? Yeah, I mean, I think that I was over because Dwarf Hope was kind of built on this grid of these four pillars. The city pillar was a unique pillar that I think I was overly idealistic in the early days. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't take into consideration the the fact that the city cities change, and mm-hmm. uh, and that was that was a difficult lesson. I mean, when we started Dwarf Hope, I thought like eighty second was no man's land. Like like mm-hmm. if you live past eighty second, you should go to a different church. Like that's you know, unless you can mm. walk to church, you shouldn't be here. And so, I mean, I remember the first time I said, hey, if you don't live in that, we ran out of space. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, if you don't live here, like, we just want to encourage you not to come back. And we lost, like, 200 people in, like, one week. And I was like, <laughs> dang, that was a little more effective than I wanted it to be. Um, yeah. I, I remember you had to do a number of sermons like that, or, or not sermons, but, but talks. It's yeah. like, Oh uh, yeah. Like every six you guys months. are just kind of visiting and hanging do out you have and a, you're taking up a chair. From, yeah. yeah. Do you have a file cabinet where you're like the sermon telling people to leave? I'll pull that yeah. one out again. Yeah, yeah, time to go. Let's, let's do the, let's do the, the, what I call the blessed subtraction. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the, the purge. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone puts masks on and they're given, given tools of, to inflict pain uh yeah no that that's that's changed some as we've moved as we've recognized like most of my staff now lives east of 82nd Mm. i mean everyone lives in we still are 80 i think we're like 85 percent last time we did Mm. a a count of 85 percent urban which is really high uh for any evangelical church in in the city um but 
but where people are coming from has changed. And so we've had to be adaptive with that. And that in kind of part of that evangelistic piece is why we moved to a family of churches is gotcha. like realizing like we're going to be, we're going to be more effective churches, church plants are the like right out of the gate tend to have their most evangelistic mm. um, season. Yeah. Uh, so uh, launching, I, I thought we would be, you know, have more planted by now, but we also mm-hmm. are renovating these buildings. Right. Right. So, so yeah, that, that's been a, that's been an interesting, an interesting journey okay. uh, for me. Like as far as like, try, like it's not the mission. Like I feel like we've stayed very true to the, the overall vision and mission of the church, mm-hmm. but it has required to maintain simplicity when you hit 1500 people right, uh, right. requires actually more complexity to maintain the simplicity mm-hmm. pillar. And yeah. that, that's, was, I think we've, we've kind of ran on this. <laughs> like we can just keep doing it by the seat of our pants mm-hmm. and it's going to be fine. And I, that's burned us quite yeah. a few times along the, mm. the Have road. you shifted over the years on mission of the church at all? And I'm not, I just, you know, it felt like maybe 10 years ago, there was a big debate about mission of the church in terms of transform city versus kind of discipleship evangelism. And it, like any just raw thoughts on that in terms of like your place, because you are a very city central church and yeah. how you think through that now. Yeah. So this is something that every people are asking me to define right now, even in, in light of all of the protests and, uh, mm, yeah. and conversations around race and, yeah. and justice and, uh, I very intentionally out of the gate, I felt like the church was often utilizing social justice as a way of getting away from or avoiding actually preaching the gospel. <laughs> and so, so I, I kind of, I mean, I pendulum swinged hard, like where, mm-hmm. you know, people would like, how are you going to engage in the city? And I'm like, well, I'm going to do church in the park. Well, like that's not city engagement. I'm like, I live here. Like I'm a good citizen. Like mm-hmm. for me, it's like, yeah. like you're talking about engagement in the city because you don't live here. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I'm like, like I think, swoop in and yeah, do Yeah, I'm like, I think engagement should just be the natural outflow of the fact mm-hmm. that you live in this neighborhood and you want to see it be better. Um, like so, mm-hmm. so from from the pulpit side of things, it's like our city engagement, like we have certain partners that we work with, but those partners even have to line up with our four pillars. So we don't engage with anything. There's a million good causes. Uh, So for us, we keep that very focused so that, so that nothing's really shifted for us, for us there. I think maybe I'm more open to some of those conversations now, but I, but, but I still, I think that the best, I mean, maybe it's the fact that I, I'm, I'm a contrarian. So you're like, tell me that church in the park won't work. And I'm like, go and go preach in the park. You know, right. it's like, right. I mean, that was my, I mean, the first thing I did when I hired Tim Mackey was I made him teach the entire new Testament with me at 6am five days a week. And they were like, nobody's going to come for three months straight at 6am. <laughs> and I'm like, and we had like 250 people show up every single morning, wow. five days a week, wow. September, October and November. And we taught the entire new Testament. And I think that those, I just love the, I think that young people love really radical things. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you have the energy to do that, I think it's a great. I wonder if Tim loved the 6am thing. He actually did. Okay. We, we went every other day. Okay. So yeah, okay. I, I, <laughs> if you give, if you tell Tim to, t- I mean, I've watched Tim do a six hour lecture on Isaiah. He's, right. he's, it's like, that's, that's flow for him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Todd, do you have any final questions? Boy, it, it sure seems to me that what I'm, one of the things that I'm hearing from you is that 
it's not necessarily about putting together seminars on how to do evangelism, but it's it's the worship service and yeah. the preaching. You're you're modeling, and you that, that even as you're sharing the gospel, there's going to be unbelievers there. You're you're consciously training your congregation on how to share the gospel, and you're giving them confidence that, hey, bring your friends to church, and they'll hear the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the, it, it is the best way for people to be. And then it, what it does is it allows the body to actually function in the gifts they've been given rather than put guilting them for not having a gift that the spirit literally hasn't given them. Mm. Like, you know, tell ter- like a terrified introvert, like that they're failing as a Christian if they haven't led someone to Jesus. You know, yeah. it's like, I think the bet, like everybody has a part to play in the body and the, the beautiful thing of the uniqueness of the body. We're not a mass. Mm-hmm. We're a body mm-hmm. made up of various parts. And so I I agree with, you know, the uh, preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Preachers of Preaching. One of my favorite parts in that book was when he says that the entire community of faith preaches the gospel mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. When God's people come together around Jesus, uh, that that's the, the gospel, that's that creates the power mm. of the gospel being presented. That's great. Yeah. Well, Josh, thanks so much for coming on with us. Yeah, was, thanks we'll for co- having me. It was continue excellent. to pray that your ministry will flourish and we're just very thankful for what you're doing here in Portland. Oh, so well, we're you. really angry at you for leaving Portland. I know. You don't have to do this. <laughs> you don't have to do this, Patrick. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Food Trucks in Babylon. The music you hear is provided by our friends at Humble Beast Records. If you like the show, please leave us a review and feel free to subscribe. To learn more about Western Seminary, visit us at westernseminary.edu. Thank you.